FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's up, everybody? We are here with the Grizzlies Podcast. Another week, another time to share some thoughts. I'm your host, Evan, and we are here with DeMichael, your Grizzlies beat writer. And uh, DeMichael, media day has passed. We're already counting down to the Grizzlies starting preseason play this weekend. Um, let's just kind of recap kind of what do you thought about media day. Obviously, it's, you know, a fun time to get to see all the team and see everybody back and see who looks different and whatnot. But uh, what were some of your biggest takeaways from uh, Grizzlies media day? Man, it's a lot. And I could I could really talk about this for, for 20 minutes, man. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so much because you you had, you know, things were confirmed. There were, were there were different perspectives of certain things that were put out there. Um, let's address the elephant, you know, first that's the Jaron Jackson Jr. injury. As you know, I wrote the story earlier this summer where I talked to the doctor out in LA who talked about, you know, the stress fracture injury and the process with that. And he told me, he said, uh, if he was a guessing man, he's pretty sure that that injury had to occur in the offseason based on, you know, the timeline of the procedure and everything else in between. And that was confirmed at media day. So that's one thing where we learned that Jaron Jackson Jr. suffered this injury off-site, as the Grizzlies said. Uh, And so he wasn't in Memphis. He wasn't, you know, in the Grizzlies facility. But he suffered the injury offsite. Uh, he told he got back to the team immediately. They addressed it, and that's why we're talking about a relatively early timeline for him instead of you know something much longer into the season, into possibly you know January All Star break in February and things like that. That was one of my big takeaways uh, there, Evan. But in terms of who's going to actually be playing. I think there was a lot of Santi Aldama praise, you know, uh, Dylan Brooks specifically. And, and Evan, you know, as well as I do, Dylan Brooks is one of the more honest guys on the team. He's not just <laughs> going to throw it. He's not throwing praise out there just to throw it out there. You know, he, he was the guy you could ask, how's this player playing defensively? And he'll let you know, hey, he needs to work on this. He needs to work on that. And, and he was very honest. So hearing Dylan Brooks of all the players say, I think you guys are going to be surprised with what Santi Aldama brings this year. I think that was noteworthy because Dylan Brooks doesn't just throw out praise. And with that being said, you know, there's another interesting perspective of Santi here because we've been talking about who's going to start for Jaron, right? And I think Taylor Jenkins, I asked him, I said, what are, what are the, because he's not going to straight up say who's going to start. So I asked him, what are the key ingredients? You know, what are you looking for in the guy who will step in in that starting role? Shooting was mentioned. Defensive versatility was the number one thing that he mentioned, but he mentioned shooting, defensive versatility. He mentioned chemistry. And there was one more thing, shooting, defensive versatility, chemistry. No, those were the main things. And when he mentioned those things, oh, playmaking was the other one, by the way. So that's what it was. Defensive versatility, Brandon Clark and Santi Aldama both stand out in those areas. We watched summer league basketball. Uh, Santi had a game where he had five, six blocks, set a Grizzly summer league record with blocks. He had that type of game. Okay, what about shooting? That's been something that Santi Aldama came in the league with, hasn't at times performed up to his level. We saw with the G League hustle, he wasn't really a great shooter in those situations. But you watch him at practice, the stroke is smooth. He is capable of making three-pointers. So, boom, you have that. Okay, what about, you know, the other other things? What about the chemistry? He knows the Grizzlies' offense. He's in his second year. Uh, he's talked about his confidence and growing with the offense. And here's the interesting one, playmaking. 
So for me, Evan, I don't think of Santi as a playmaker. I haven't seen it personally. I'm sure you probably haven't seen it as well. But talking to Taylor Jenkins after the second practice earlier this week, Taylor Jenkins uh, went out of his way to talk about how Santi Aldama is becoming a really good playmaker. So him saying without saying that Santi Aldama has the ingredients at the power forward position that the team is looking for. I think that was an interesting takeaway, just that you put the pieces together and you feel like he's one of the guys who has a really good chance to start for Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, I think Santi is going to be interesting to see because obviously there's a lot that you want to see from him in year two. You want to see if he can be a productive rotation player because last year, obviously, there were times where he just looked lost and then obviously he had that game against the Suns where he – you know, had that great dunk that everybody loved. Um, but I think we did. We definitely are taking the wait and see approach with Santi. I mean, I still think that summer league was good, but as as you and I both know, summer league is summer league. That's not playing against NBA pros. That's not playing against the best of the best. And so I want to see how he looks against you know pros, um, you know NBA pros, and how he adjusts, how he learned from last year, how he got more more comfortable. Um, with that. So I think for me, Santi is a very intriguing player just because, you know, he has the size, he can shoot it. He can, you know, you know, he's got some little bit defensive potential, but we haven't really seen that materialize. So it's interesting that for all the talk about Zaire Williams being the most intriguing second year player on this team, there's a lot of intrigue with Santi as well. So I'll be really curious to see kind of how he um, factors in and Demichael, let's let's just go ahead and get into it. With the preseason coming up, the big question is who are the guys that are going to replace Jaron at the four? Um, and I think that's going to be something that we're going to see experiment. Now, obviously, we know that whoever starts the first game isn't necessarily going to start the season opener. They change lineups all the time. So what do you think you're going to be like? Who do you think, just from what you've been hearing and what everyone's saying, who are probably going to be maybe the first people we see get a chance at that starting four job? So Santi is the guy that I just mentioned. So we'll throw his name out there because I think it comes down to three different options here. Santi is is the one we talk about the ingredients and things like that. Uh, he he fits what they're looking for. Now Brandon Clark is the interesting guy, right? A lot of a lot of people know when you talk about that position, he's the most productive player that you can just slot in that role, and you know you're going to get production, but. Talking with Brandon Clark, I talked to Brandon Clark after practice on Thursday. I asked him, so what's your most comfortable position, the five or the four? And as expected, he said the five. Why? Because if you watch Brandon Clark play, he's very good at rolling to the rim, you know, finishing in the paint. Uh, those are all he had the highest two-point field goal percentage on the team for a reason. All those are his strengths. If you put him at that four position, you're kind of taking him away from the basket a little bit more. And it's necessarily not the biggest strength of his game. So he he – he, of course, he loves to play the four. Like, you know, don't get it twisted. He loves to play the four, but when it comes to playing the five, that's the more natural position for him. And I think Taylor Jenkins likes to bring him in off the bench, as we saw in that Timberwolves series when people were begging for Brandon Clark to start. And he went with Kyle Anderson. Then he went with Xavier Tillman. And everyone's just like, please start. Please start, Kyle. I mean, please start, you know, uh, Brandon Clark. Well, he was the most productive guy. So at the end of the day, at that four position, I think we're talking about Brandon Clark getting the most minutes. But I'm going to throw one more option out there, too, Evan. And this is one where the Grizzlies are talking about it, and I don't think people are taking it that serious, but I think they should. It's the small ball option. I think there is a legitimate chance, Evan, that we could see Dylan Brooks start the season 
as the power forward. And and you have Zaire Williams as your three. You have Desmond Bain as your two guard. I I, I think that is a legitimate uh, chance of that. And the main reason why I think this, if you look at matchups across the Western Conference, I just looked up and down the Western Conference. There are probably two two power forwards that stand out in my mind, Evan, where I say, okay, that's a mismatch on that night. When he gets the ball, they're going to have to, you know, draw doubles and, and all type of thing. That's Anthony Davis is one, and that's Carl yeah. Anthony Towns. Carl yeah. Anthony Towns in Minnesota. Outside of that, what the Suns, they're going to start Cam Johnson, who's basically a small forward. Then you go down to Golden State. They're going to start Draymond Green at the four, who, as we know, he's not going to, you know, score 20 points or anything like that. And if you go down, the Clippers, again, another team, they basically play multiple threes. You know, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Paul George, all those guys, very interchangeable at the two, three, four positions. And if you keep going throughout the Western Conference, Aaron Gordon, again, that's a guy who started his career as a three. He still plays a lot of the four. But none of those guys are guys where you think, oh, they're going to bully Dylan Brooks. So I think just because of the makeup of the Western Conference, the Grizzlies could go small and they could be successful. Yeah. Uh, wow. That is that is an interesting. See, I just threw you for a loop. I threw you for a I, loop, Evan. You know, when I heard you guys talking about that after training, after one of the practices, I was like, ooh, ooh, I don't, I don't know about that. But hearing you say it, it's not crazy. We'll get back. To, let me get back to that because I want to get to Brandon Clark for something. It's interesting he said that his ideal position is the five when most of his career he's been the four. Um, and he's come off the bench as the four. Like the, some of those good lineups they've had are with Jaron and Brandon Clark, where Jaron's your five and Brandon's your four. Um, and if you look at Cleaning the Glass, which is a great analytics website, most of Brandon's minutes have been at power forward. So interesting that he says that, like Macy Water, the Grizzlies play him out of position. I don't know, but clearly he has thrived in that power forward role. And so um, I think the big thing again with Brandon Clark has always been it's not about what he can do, it's more of like, when he's, for some reason, when he's a reserve, he's a much better player than when he starts. The numbers have backed this up since his rookie year. When he starts, he tends to struggle a little bit more. The same thing kind of happened in 2021 when Jaron was out start. Jaron was out most of the year, and Brandon was starting a little bit. He struggled a little bit as a starter. Um, but I, I would say to me, the, the answer to this question goes back to kind of what the Grizzlies want to do this year. Are you trying to position yourself as a contender? Yes, we all would agree that the Grizzlies want to prove that last year was in fluke. You want to be a contender. So do you want to take a gamble on Santi Aldama making a second-year leap and throwing him in there? Or do you go with the safer bet and say, hey, Clark is your most experienced player. Clark is one of your five best players. And just throw him out there because clearly he is one of the better players, although he has struggled um, as a starter. So to me, it goes back to what the Grizzlies want to do. Do they want to try to say, hey, we're in win-now mode. We're trying to prove that we are a contender. We're not using this as a stopgap. We're using our best players. Or are you more experimental by saying, let's go with Santi and even Dylan Brooks? I mean, it's the bounce I think the Grizzlies have to make, whereas, yes, they're one of the NBA's youngest teams, but they've also been to the second round of the playoffs now. And usually those teams, you have to take certain decisions to make steps forward not backwards. And I think by throwing Santi Aldama in there on day one, if, if, that, if it was me, I would say, are the Grizzlies kind of like 
praying for rain and bringing out an umbrella, you know, <laughs> because Santi, again, still a little bit raw, still needs to show what he can do in an NBA regular season game. But if it works out, it could pay off. But I don't know. I think to me, the safe bet is Brandon Clark. And I think Dylan Brooks bringing some interesting small ball possibilities. I mean, we, look, we all know Dylan Brooks is a great two-way player. He loves to defend. He loves to score. He has the energy. I just, I'm just trying to imagine a lineup where you have Ja, Desmond Bain, Lister out Zaire for the heck of it, Dylan Brooks, that's your, your four, and then you have a five in there somewhere. That's a very interesting lineup. I mean, you could score. Like, if all works well. You have Ja, Bain, Dylan Brooks can get his own shot, and then Zaire, we know, is improving. Just tonight, hypothetical? It's not crazy. It's not a crazy idea. I mean, to my point, I think you got a point there. I just, it seems weird because I'm so used to Dylan Brooks being that three, right? Dylan Brooks, for so long, people were wondering if he would be a two, but now he's found a home at the three, and now we want to try to experiment with him at the four. I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know. But hey, that's what Taylor Jenkins has to figure out. Like, what combinations work? That's what preseason's for. Try it out and see what happens, and then let the chips fall where they may. Um, Speaking of Zaire, um, Demike, I'm curious. Everyone knows that his, you know, everyone's riding a lot on his lead. We talked about it last week. Um, do you expect Zaire, like, let's assume the starters don't play a lot of minutes. Do you expect Zaire to get the lion's share of minutes to kind of see what he can do? Because obviously the team knows that his play is going to be very crucial to see how the season goes. So what I've gathered from Taylor Jenkins is throughout the preseason, you know, don't expect a lot of guys to, especially in back-to-back games, play heavy minutes and things like that. So I think there could be stretches where we see him for, you know, 20, 25 minutes in a game. And then the next game, we may not see him as much if he plays or something like that. But getting back to your original point. So Zion Williams has a desire to get the ball in his hands more. Um, this offseason, he talked a lot about, you know, this past year, his rookie season being the first time in his basketball life where he wasn't playing, you know, on the ball, where he wasn't the primary option in offense. If you watch Zaire with the Grizzlies last season, go look at his highlights. You're going to see a lot of spot-up three-pointers, a lot of transition scoring, alley-oops, dunks, layups in transition, and you probably see a couple, you know, uh, mid-range jumpers with one dribble, quick, quick action stuff. Not a lot of plays drawn up for him like a Desmond Bain elevator screen and things like that or second side actions for Dylan Brooks or, you know, Desmond Bain and those type guys. He didn't get a lot of that with the offense. But according to Taylor Jenkins, according to Zaire Williams, we should expect more of that. And I think the production will come naturally in the flow of the offense with a, uh, you know, I'm expecting a, a kind of a, a, a pretty decent year from, from Zaire Williams. I, I think he's going to have a really good second season. Uh, I think, you know, Desmond Bain is one of one in that area. You know, I don't I don't think we're talking about a Desmond Bain leap, but we're talking about definitely noticeable growth from year one to year two. Something that stood out to me, I was just looking inside of his numbers. We all know Brandon Clark had the highest two-point field goal percentage on the team. Yep. Did you know Zaire Williams had the second highest two-point field goal percentage above how John shot, Morant? How, how many shots did he take? That's what I want to know. Did he take a lot of two-point shots? And no, no, no. But that's the thing. That is exactly where I'm getting to. He didn't have the the, the volume of a Dylan Brooks, of a Desmond Bain, you know, of a John Morant. But 
there is there is legit reason. You know, the eye test, I think we have seen there's legit reason to believe, you know, that that number wasn't a fluke. Let's take his mid range shot, for example. I think you can make an argument right now. Uh, maybe Desmond Bain is first, but you can say Zaire has a top two mid range jumper. Or Dylan Brooks is in the conversation as well. He is. He takes a lot of contested ones, but uh, you could say Zaire Williams has one of the better mid-range jumpers on the team. I wrote a story actually this summer. Uh, you can check out on the Commercial Appeal about Zaire Williams' mid-range shooting. In that story, he talked about growing up with his father, and his father would they would drill that mid-range shot over and over and over and over and over. And he said, "Look, at the end of the day, he can take that shot whenever he wants to. He just has to to you know." Uh, stay within the Florida offense and, and not get too, you know, carried away with himself. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about a six nine guy with long arms who can just rise over you and take that shot, a la a guy like K- KD or something. But he is focusing on staying within the offense. I think the mid-range shots will come. We're talking about the second-side actions that the Grizzlies run for Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain, where they get those clean looks at the top of the key and you know from the wing on the perimeter and whatnot. I think Zaire will get some of those shots. He'll make a lot of them. He's still going to run the floor. I'm expecting a big second year from him, and I think he, right up there with Brandon Clark, is probably looking at uh, your leading scorers off the bench. Ooh, ooh, that is – that is a lot that you guys got there from the Miami. That is some good, good projection. That is a good thing to get excited about. Like the, the, the ceiling for Zaire Williams remains so high. And again, I, I'd like to see how many shots he took because again, like as you mentioned, it, it's good. But again, there's not a lot of there's there's not a lot of volume there. And so you wonder what's going to happen when he takes that volume. Is it going to be higher? Is it going to be you know regressed to a medium? What's that going to look like? I, I think that's where it gets really interesting because again, you you think of you mentioned you think of Zaire spot of shooter, but when I remember Zaire Williams from you know seeing a little bit of him in high school, Zaire Williams was a creator. Zaire Williams was a guy who could get his own shot. Uh, and I think that's what the Grizzlies saw when they drafted him because they saw what kind of player he was in high school. They saw kind of what the potential was at Stanford, even though that was a very adverse situation with, you know, the COVID protocols, no fans, not being able to, you know, train on campus for the most part. Like the Grizzlies know the player that he was a Sierra King in high school. And I think what they're hoping for is as he gets stronger and more comfortable. He can be a better shot creator defender who can keep people honest. And I think that's what makes it really, really interesting with his development and why this is going to be why for preseason. I think I'm really looking to see kind of how Zaire, you know, how much more comfortable he looks this preseason. I want to see Zaire Williams look more comfortable, find those roles that he can excel, get to the mid range, um, do all those things when he can be a creator versus just being a recipient, which is fine. But for the role that I think the Grizzlies want for him, they definitely need him to be more assertive in that regard. So I'll be really curious what a year under his belt is going to do for him in preseason to kind of see how he takes a step forward. Um, you actually had something else this week that was, I think was really kind of cool. Steven Adams, stretch five. <laughs> I, I, I think we all kind of like look at that and we're like, is, is Steven Adams not going to start turning into, you know, a jump shooter? I mean, a, a three-point shooter. Um, just take us through that a little bit. What did you – what does Steven Adams say? What do you think about kind of like the idea of him taking more shots? Or was it just he's taking shots at practice because he can make those shots at practice, not necessarily in game? Yeah, so I think 
We we have to be careful with this, right, Evan? You know, we're we're not talking about a guy that's about to turn into Carl Anthony Towns. No, you know, here. not at all. We're not we're just all. talking about taking advantage of of advantageous opportunities, and I, they will be there for him. If you watched the Grizzlies last season, you saw Stephen Adams in those DHO plays. You know, he had a lot of open space, which led to his assist numbers being so good. Why? Because his vision. I mean, he could see the entire floor because he wasn't getting pressured. And that's what led to all those back cuts to Desmond Bain, to Dylan Brooks, to John Morant, et cetera. Now, there was a, the, the, you know, a lot of fans complain, drive the basketball, shoot it, something, because he'd just be standing at the top of the key on an island, and the defender would just sag into the paint and just tag players running through so they could just stay in the paint. And it made hard for the Grizzlies to finish, you know, around the rim at certain times, particularly in that Timberwolves series when Steven Adams was still playing. But the addition of a three-point shooter, just to keep teams honest, just to say you you can't leave him too open. Uh, I think that that is huge. You know, uh, we're, I, don't, I don't think we're talking about a pick and pop guy, you know, necessarily too much here. We're talking about a guy who when the Grizzlies win their DHO sets uh, and when he gets the basketball and he's surveying the defense, if he if none of those guys are getting open on those cuts, guess what? He can shoot it and make it. That's all we're talking about here. I think uh, seeing him in practice, Evan, he, he's knocked them down. He's knocking him down. I posted a couple videos as well on Twitter just to show, you know, the fans how he how he's shooting. I think the stroke looks clean. It, it looks natural. And uh, the only three he's made in his career, and you may be you may remember this one, was a three quarters court, uh, one handed heave when he played with Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm gonna predict he'll add to that one this year. I'm not predicting 33 pointers or anything like that, but the. Defenses will have it in the back of their minds. We have to pressure Stephen Adams more. I, I And I think that that changes things completely because the one thing that the Grizzlies, you know, need to work on in order to be a better half court scoring team is the spacing. And Stephen Adams being pulled away from the basket and knocking down a few of those shots to change that. I, I, it, it sounds cool. I'm just like. I can't imagine that. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine it because Stephen Adams is such a, you know, trip, typical guy who's going to be in the post. He'll get his rebounds. He'll set great screens, all those things. I, I just can't fathom just, you know, pulling out and kind of being like what Jonas Valanciunas was where he went from somebody who didn't really shoot threes that much to started shooting more and more to where now with his first year with the Pelicans, you know, he started shooting at a, at a really high rate because he started doing that more in Memphis. I have a hard time seeing it because, again, if you look at Stephen Adams' career, this is a guy who's entering his 10th season. He's only taken 14 three-pointers. I mean, he's taken 14 three-pointers, which is like Desmond Bain through, through, through three games. You know? I think they're mostly heaves, too. These, these are half-court, full-court heaves for the most part. <laughs> yeah, like he's not running the offense like like you said. Standing in the corner, he's open. He'll pull up and shoot like he's that's that's never been a part of his game. So what I'm curious about is, oh, and I was just to mention he only took one three pointer last season. So, you know, I, I just I have a hard time imagining uh, anything other than just, OK, he can put up in practice. He warms up. You know, he can shoot it like that. I just don't see the Grizzlies asking him to do it as much, because, again, if you got Ja, if you got Bain, if you have Dylan Brooks, you have Zaire Williams. Um, those are your main shooters for the most part. Guys who are going to put up a lot of shots. And so I don't know if you want Steven Adams to start doing that only because 
without Jaron in there, he is your, you know, your big man. He is your best. He was already your best rebounder. If he starts shooting threes, that takes him away from his strength, which is offensive rebounding and, you know, getting those great screens to free up Devin Bank because they have that great one-two chemistry um, or two-man game, excuse me. Um, I just have a hard time seeing it. Like, again, it, to me, it looked like something where when you posted your video and people read into it, it's like you see him do it in practice. That doesn't mean they're going to do it in the game. Because as we both know, everybody can hit shots in practice, you know, when it's just, you know, messing around or just doing that because they're professionals. They can do that. But when it comes to a game, you have a clear role for yourself. And I'll give you this. Steven Adams trains in, I believe, L.A. with um, with somebody. Shout out to Olin Simplis, who's trained several NBA players. That's who has trained Steven Adams. Um I've seen him shoot clips in the summer with Olin, and he does a good job of getting open to those looks or whatever. But again, he only took one three-pointer last year. I think if you put an over-under, I would say they don't take – if you put an over-under on – well, let's do it to Michael. Over-under 10 three-point attempts for Steven Adams this season. What are you going to take? I'm going to say – I'm going to – I mean, because, look, it depends on how he starts. Like, it's it's, it's tough because if he, uh, if he comes out – and he makes if he makes a three pointer, then he, he 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 clears over. But if he misses the first two, he takes he probably shies away and says, "Okay, I'm not shooting anymore." Uh, <laughs> I, I I think I'll 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 be the bold guy here, Evan. I'll be the bold guy. I'll go with the over uh, 10, 10 in the season. I mean, that's one every eight games. I, I think you know there, that that could definitely be a possibility. Like I said, we're not talking about a guy that's going to just start just shooting a bunch of three pointers. And you're right at practice and. And in game are two completely different things, but Taylor Jenkins notably give, has given him the green light. Uh, I think that was just very noticeable in terms of the head coach said, "If you're open, shoot it." And guess what, Evan? He's going to be open, so he'll he'll have that opportunity. And I'm gonna I'm gonna clear the over. I'll I'll, I'll say he, he goes over ten. So again, this is three point attempts, ten three point attempts this season. You're taking the over. Taking the over. All right. Just so you know. His career high for three-point attempts in the season is three. I, I'm, I'm aware. And, and you know, his career high for green lights is probably zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I would take the under. I think, you know, he'll probably, if he, he might pull one occasionally, like, in the run of play. But I, I just don't see Because, again, Taylor Jenkins gives the Grizzlies the green light to do more stuff and shoot. And that's kind of been his message he's arrived. Um, I, again, I, I don't see Steven Adams. If he does add that to his game, in year 10, that would be pretty interesting to see. Uh, however, I, I, I'm going to take the under on three-point attempts per season with the caveat. Like you said, if he makes his first three or four or he makes a good percentage, maybe. But again, you don't want him to change away from what he's doing. As you, and we both talked about that. Like We don't want him to change away from being that post-rebounding presence because that's such a big part of why this offense is, is so good. So... We will see. We will see before we can call Stephen Adams a, a spot-up shooter here. Um, last thing to Michael, um, as we record this on Thursday, you just got back from being at FedEx Forum, seeing some of the renovations for the season, um, and for the arena heading into this season. As we wrap it up here, why don't you take the viewer, take the listeners through what you and uh, Mark Giannato got to watch um, today? Yeah, I think it's an exciting time. You know, I even joked with some of the people that were there. You know that that I, uh, you could see me possibly uh, take a couple of days off during the season, Evan and Jen, and just go enjoy the experience for myself. I mean, it, it was <laughs> it's nice. 
it's nice. Uh, the, the standing room area in the old uh, terrace level is 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 a sight to behold. And, you know, they're going to be the cheapest tickets, you know, in the arena. So they're, they're going to be cheap if you're going to buy the tickets just to be in that area. If, if you're not buying the tickets to just be in that area, then you can literally you can have floor level seats and you could come all the way up. You could be in the pinnacle, you mean the plaza area. You can come up to that area where, you know, they have, you know, 34 TVs. You know, they have all these nice food options. And, and it's, it, you know, it's kind of like you're looking at the game over a ledge, uh, all these tables. There's a patio kind of outdoor section uh, right behind it. You kind of this is right above the grand lobby. So I think it's sections 201 through 232. So it's a very it's a nice long area, but I like it. Uh, it's 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 neat. Uh, I think it's a it's a nice you know addition to the FedEx Forum. We've seen some arenas in the NBA and MLB you know make this change. Noticeably for me personally, that some that stand out are like Atlanta. You know, with the Braves, they have the Battery, which is a standing room area where you know a lot of the Atlanta Braves fans go. Or at uh, you know the Atlanta Hawks down there at the Phillips Arena, they have you know a standing room you know section as well. So. With that being said, I think it's a nice addition, you know, to the FedEx Forum. It's, it's you know, going to attract younger people as well. It's going to be an area, even in those games where they're playing, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. You know, uh, no disrespect to the Oklahoma City Thunder, but that's the first team that came <laughs> to my head. So uh, when they're playing the Thunder and they're beating them by 73 points, you know, again or something, and you don't want to just sit in your seat and and just just you know watch that blowout. You can go up there, go socialize with some people, and you can watch the game from afar. I think it's still a nice view. And like I said, there's a socializing there. You have 34 TVs, so you're surrounded by TVs. Good food. Uh, it's a nice little addition. And then there was the question. A lot of people have asked me this, Evan, about you know they did remove some seating from their area, but from what I've been told from Grizzlies officials, uh, it's kind of a net. It's kind of a net, no gain, no loss type thing here because what they did do is they added some floor level seating, uh, particularly on the Grizzlies baseline where there were three rows. They added a fourth row, which should add approximately 28 seats. Then you go up to the, the 100 section. I believe it was somewhere in between 101 to 118. And those sections, uh, you go to the FedEx Forum, you know they have huge aisles. Uh, they've kind of decreased the aisle space some and added seats in those areas. And they've done it as well in the terrace level. So all of those seat additions kind of, they feel like cancel out taking away the standing room area. So in a way, there could be more people at the games this season when you talk about those big sold out games, when you're playing Gold State, when you're playing the Lakers and, and you know, those type teams, the Celtics and so forth. So I think this adds to the FedEx Forum experience. I think fans are going to like it. Evan. Definitely. And they can read your story at commercialappeal.com. You can check out all the goodies that are going to be at FedEx Forum. Fans will be able to get to see that at the first home game. I believe that is next uh, Friday, October 7th. Is that right, Michael? The first preseason home game? Yep. The first preseason home game is actually Monday. Monday, oh. October 3rd. Oh, I'm so and sorry. You're right. October October 7th is, is the second preseason home game. So you got two preseason home games in the upcoming week. The third against the Orlando Magic, the seventh against the Miami Heat. That's right. I got mixed up because I know that October 7th, there's a preseason game and a Tigers football game that day. So there will be a lot going on. So, again, check out the Michaels content at commercialappeal.com. Find out all the stuff about FedEx Forum. Find out all the stuff about the Grizzlies as they get ready to start preseason 
play and we're going to go ahead and end it right here so for to michael i'm evan thank you all for listening and we will see you all or talk to you all next week the grizzlies podcast is a production of the commercial appeal